Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. It's good to be back with you. I was, uh, I was, I think the last time I got to say Mass at St. Basil's, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, Father Ryan and I did a a swift swap. He was, uh, he covered masses for me at Sacred Heart because he was doing our parish mission. And I came here to celebrate mass uh, for, for this community. And uh, I've missed you guys. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. All right, it's wonderful to be back. So um, I want to get into it tonight. The, uh, I just recently reread um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The, I, just, I, I often find myself just going back through the Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody, do we have any Narnia fans in Brexville? Okay, there's like four of you. What the heck? Okay. <laughs> You gotta get on this, people. All right, read Chronicles of Narnia. Read some C.S. Lewis. You're gonna get some good C.S. Lewis tonight. I wanna. I, I just. I just was reflecting a lot on this. If you're not familiar with the stories, especially the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's basically what it is. It's the gospel in disguise. It's the gospel in disguise, and it's it's extraordinary. The 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 main figure in many ways in the books that that carries through all the books is Aslan. He's the great lion, and who he is is the king. He's the king of Narnia. What you see that Aslan, he's landed in the story of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He's on the move, and the characters are recognizing this phrase, Aslan, he's on the move. Things are happening. That he's mobilizing troops, he's mobilizing forces to confront the reign of the White Witch. The White Witch who has turned all of Narnia into winter, right? It's the, the, C.S. Lewis says it's always winter, never Christmas, which would be awful, right? I could use a little snow right now. I mean, this constant rain has been awful. We need, a little, we need a little white out there. But anyway, it's always winter, never Christmas. It's a lot like, actually, it's a lot like, uh, if you ever read The Divine Comedy by Dante, it's a lot like Dante's image of hell. His image of hell is that it's, a, it's an icy, frigid environment. It's not a fiery, hot environment that, that the devil's bat wings are beating the air and creating this frigid, cold environment. And it's just immobile and awful and... Those like three degree days that we had last week, it's like, yeah, this is hell. This is what hell feels like, right? Anyway, always winter, never Christmas. So when one of the main characters in the story, Susan, she's the eldest of the Pevensey kids. Susan, she finds out that Aslan is a lion and they're going to meet him. Susan's kind of nervous. So she asks the question, if he's safe, to which Mr. Beaver, because Beaver's talking Narnia, Mr. Beaver says, of course he's not safe. Who said anything about safe? But he's good. He's the king, you know, right? That's the line. All of this, friends, all of that right there, the story was swirling around in my mind as I was reflecting on this gospel that we have this weekend, where we see Jesus in the opening pages of Mark's gospel. The opening lines is Jesus exercising, confronting a demon, confronting the powers of darkness. Right at the outset of his gospel, this is the way Mark wants to set the tone of the gospel. This is what is happening. He's confronting the power of darkness that's holding this man bound it made me think of another passage, another lengthy passage from C.S. Lewis. I told you, you're going to get some, some C.S. Lewis lesson tonight. So if you can bear with me, can you bear with me? I'm going to read you a passage. Give me some of this. Yes? Okay, good. I'm going to read you a little lengthier passage from uh, C.S. Lewis's masterpiece, Mere Christianity. Okay, here we go. He says this. He says, one of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talks so much about a dark power in the universe a mighty evil spirit who, has, who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin. 
The difference is that Christianity thinks that this dark power was created by God and was good when he, when he was created and went wrong. Christianity agrees with dualism that this universe is at war, but it does not think that this is a war between independent powers. It thinks it's a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in the part of the universe occupied by the rebel, enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity, get this, this is so good. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church, huh? you're here, okay. When you go to church, you are really listening into the secret wireless from our friends. That is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. He does it by playing on our conceit and laziness and intellectual snobbery. I know someone will ask me, do you really mean at this time of day to reintroduce our old friend the devil, hoofs and horns and all? Well, what time of day that has to do with it, I don't know. And I'm not, particularly, I'm not particular about the hoofs and the horns. But in other respects, my answer is yes, I do. I do not claim to know anything about his personal appearance. If anybody really wants to know him better, I would say to that person, don't worry, if you really want to, you will. <laughs> Whether you'll like it when you do is another question. Another question. Enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. That's what this world is. So in this gospel, we see Jesus exercising, confronting the powers of darkness, exercising this possessed man, and, and we're almost embarrassed about it. I think if we're honest, we're almost embarrassed about it, that this is not the sort of socially acceptable Jesus that we're used to, buddy Jesus, social justice-minded Jesus, Jesus the preacher, Jesus the teacher that we all love, Jesus on the poster kicking the soccer ball, right? Buddy Jesus, that's not who this is. This is, this is not the Jesus you invite over to your dinner party. This is, the, this is an undomesticated Jesus. This is not a Jesus who doesn't stay in a box. This is Aslan, right? He's not safe, but he's good, right? That's who he is. Now look, I, I'm not going to try and propose a more palatable interpretation for us tonight on this. Like, this is, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. First Timothy, the, the, the Lord inspired Timothy to write, we hear this, that the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Like, there's a reason why Mark begins the gospel in this way, a confrontation between the powers of darkness and the powers of light, that he's come to invade the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light and beauty and mercy and goodness. Like, that's who Jesus is. He's the one before whom angels veil their faces and they fall down and demons shriek. That's who he is. That's who he is. And he's calling us, like C.S. Lewis says, to join him in this campaign of sabotage, of getting his father's world back. That's what he's about. That's what the church exists to do. We heard in that first reading, Moses saying that the Lord's going to raise up a new Moses that's who Jesus is. He's a new Moses who's leading his people in a greater exodus, the definitive exodus, not just exodus from slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, but the exodus leading us out from this place of dominion and darkness into the promised land of glory. Like he's the new Moses. Like as Catholic Christians, we like we believe like our world is so, so much bigger than what we can merely see with our senses. Like, what's happening around us right now in this moment is so much more 
richly textured and beautiful and complicated than what we can just simply see with our eyes. Like our eyes betray us in some ways. Our senses betray us in some ways. That's what Thomas Aquinas, whose feast day, if it wasn't a Sunday, his feast day we'd be celebrating today. He sings those hymns, right? What our eyes and senses tell us, faith sees deeper. We believe in a world that's so much more populated by unbelievably beautiful things. We say in the creed, we're going to say it in a moment, we believe in things visible and invisible. Thanks for playing. Okay, visible and invisible. Invisible. What is the invisible stuff that we're talking about? We're talking about the full array of all of the angels and all of the the company of heaven, the principalities, the powers, the cherubim, the seraphim, the choirs of angels, which are more numerous than every human soul that's ever existed. And we also are talking about the legions of fallen angels who are always at all times at war against our humanity. Again, C.S. Lewis, we believe that the devil is real. The person who spoke about the enemy more than anybody in the scriptures is Jesus, that he is a personal, intelligent, angelic force who fell and is hell-bent on bringing us into his campaign against the Lord. And look, his main tactic, I don't mean to get all, you know, brimstone and fire on you tonight, but like his main tactic, his main tactic, it's not to get us to worship him, right? He's not saying, I want you to be Satanist. That's not the enemy's tactic. That's far too obvious. That's far too obvious. He just wants us to worship anything else but God. He'll he'll settle for anything. Money, great. Reputation, great. Popularity, great. Your job, great. Your kids, great. Pizza Hut, great. (laughs) (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Worship anything else but God. That's fine. That'll do just fine. And in the process, what he sees us doing What happens is we're trying to fill this part of our heart that's hungry for the infinite. And he knows that we're just chasing after counterfeits. We're chasing after counterfeits. The things of this world, they're not bad in and of themselves, but we can't absolutize them. That's the problem. When we make them the absolute, we try to fill our hunger for the infinite with finite things. It never works, and the enemy knows it. So he's constantly proposing these counterfeits to us. And what happens is our hearts get hardened and jaded and addicted and wanting more and more and more and more. And what we end up doing is we, we, we lose sight of the true story that the infinite one has broken into our finite world saying, I've come to feed you. I've come to feed you. Bring your hunger here. I can't help but just speak a moment about Thomas Aquinas. He's one of my great heroes. Thomas Aquinas, he wrote this beautiful, beautiful reflection, a beautiful piece on the Eucharist. And he laid it at the presence in the front of the tabernacle. Because he's, he's like giving it to the Lord, basically saying, Lord, is, is what I wrote about this true? Right, that this is the bread of angels that you are actually hiding here, that you are actually, your beating heart is hiding here, wanting to feed and satisfy the hungers of men and women. Is this actually true? Did I, write, did I get this right? And he lays it in front of the tabernacle, and from the crucifix above the tabernacle, he hears this voice speaking to him. And of course, the Lord's speaking in Latin to Thomas Aquinas. Scripsisti bene dame, Toma. You've written well of me, Thomas. What would you have as a reward? 
like I would have said, like a, like a Maserati, right? I would have said, you know, endless Chick-fil-A gift cards. I, 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 I'm not Thomas Aquinas. But he said, nil nisi te domine, nothing but you, Lord, nothing but you, Lord. Shortly after that, he has this experience after celebrating Mass where he was taken up in some ways. He has this vision of glory. And so this saint who has written up to this point, 25 years in his career, writing every single day, reflecting on the sacraments, reflecting on the scriptures, reflecting on the story, endless words, thousands upon thousands of words, the, the prodigality, the prodigiousness of his corpus is just unbelievable. He has this experience and after that day, he doesn't write another word. What happened <laughs> to cause him to stop? He said, I saw something. <laughs> he had an experience of God's love. He had an experience of God's glory. And whatever it was, it caused him to say, everything that I've written up to this point, it's just straw. Which invites us to think, like, what, Lord, do you actually have promised us? What actually do you have on offer for us? And how often do we just so settle for such lesser things? It's good that we're here tonight. It's good that we're here tonight. And I hope to God you've brought your hungry heart. Because the best of the food, of the, the best of finest wheat is going to be given to us. This is the food for hungry hearts. This is what Thomas Aquinas knew. This is what C.S. Lewis knew. This is what the great saints knew. So let's open our hearts to this incredible story that's unfolding all around us, a battle that we're engaged in. It's a battle for our hearts, and let's bring our hearts to the safest place, which is the Lord. Amen.